Welcome to Episode 9 of the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans and welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm Rob, your host, and we're recording this episode on Friday, April 3rd, 2019. Uh, We're recording a little bit early this week and releasing this episode a little bit early in recognition of May the 4th, uh, aka Star Wars Day. And before we get started, I just wanted to take a brief moment to recognize the passing of a true Star Wars great in Peter Mayhew. Uh, Pete was the actor that played Chewbacca in the original trilogy's films, and he was always just a very uh, warm and generous person, very giving with his time for Star Wars fans and other individuals who were part of the Star Wars universe. Uh, I know he was active in a lot of the Star Wars celebrations, and he just just had a warm way about him, and his loss is really going to be felt throughout the Star Wars community. So I, I did just want to take a quick moment to pause and, and uh, thank him for all of his work that he did and for really bringing Chewie to life. Uh, he was arguably the glue, the heart and soul for that original trilogy. It's definitely going to be a huge loss no longer having him as part of the Star Wars family. I do have a clip here that I'm going to play uh, in tribute to Peter Mayhew. Uh, it was put together by Tom over at the Hyperion Adventures podcast, and it was really a nicely put together piece. So I'm going to play that for you now, and then we'll move on to our main topic. Chewie. Chewie, is that you? Chewie! Can't see, pal. What's going on? Door opened, and George walked in with Gary behind him. So naturally, what did I do? I'm raised in England. As soon as someone comes in through the door, I stand up. George goes, hmm virtually turned to Gary and said, I think we found it. Screaming about it can't help you. No, it's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. It's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I suggest a new strategy, Artem. Let the Wookiee win. Shoot, come on! <laughs> I need help with this giant hairy thing! Stop her! You hurt Joey, you're gonna deal with me! You hurt him? He almost killed me six times! What is going on? Now, I'm gonna put these on you. Okay. 
iPod. You you put those on. I loved Chewbacca the character because it was sort of epitomized a person's love for his dog. Come on, Trey, let's check it out. And yet it's taking that one step further to not only wishing that you could communicate with your dog, but being successful and being able to understand them. Hey, you keep that up, buddy. And you know, knowing exactly what he's saying. Well, you said it, Chewie. You can understand that thing? And that thing can understand you too, so watch it. Come on, Nyla. Keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. <laughs> Partially the way the character itself is basically a teddy bear. This character represents the guy next door, the person that looked after you in a group. Found him in a junk pile. Oh, what a mess. Chewie, you think you can repair him? Think that after what you did to handle Trust him, trust him! Oh, we understand, don't we, Chip? We had no choice. Just try What was so remarkable about him was his spirit and his his kindness and his gentleness was so close to what a Wookiee is. Sure, they're fierce animals, but they're like your family dog. There's no one more loving and uh, and the unconditional love. Joey, take care of yourself, okay? <laughs> Chewie transformed me. I transformed. The attitude was different. Chewie turned on. Do the scenes. Come back. Take the mask off. Peter was back. Goodbye, Chewbacca. Miss you. I will. A great piece, and once again, thank you to Tom over at Hyperion Adventures for providing that to us to recognize Peter Mayhew. All right, for this week's episode, we're going to do a little bit of a special event. This will be my first time having a guest on the podcast who I'm doing an interview with, and we have with us this week uh, John Sakari from BigFatPanda.com. So, Panda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rob. It's great. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So uh, really what precipitated this was that uh, John was one of the folks that had the opportunity to get down and uh, get the special kind of preview of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World Resort. And uh, as soon as I saw that happen, I wanted to reach out to him and kind of have him come on the show and talk a little bit about that. Uh, And I also thought that with May the 4th coming up tomorrow, uh, it would be a great opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about Star Wars and the Disney parks overall. Uh, so, John, if you're up for that, I say we give that a go. Nah, not really. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Perfect. That was a great episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how the listeners can find you? Uh, basically, my my thing, I think everybody has like something they focus on. My thing is my YouTube channel. So it's bigfatpanda.com. That will get you right to the YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Check out what's over there. Uh, just, I try to do videos. I try to make them better than most videos. Like if I do an attraction, I'll do multi-angle usually. Uh, a lot of times I'll try to get nice shows out and just sometimes little different tidbits and stuff from the parks. 
Yeah, it's appropriate that you uh, take the PandaVision approach to your videos for sure. And definitely uh, your videos are awesome. It gives everyone who is not down there at Walt Disney World a chance to kind of visit the parks virtually and get their fix until they can make it back down there. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to do here, uh, one of the things that we're going to do when we have guests on the show and are doing interviews is we have our own little uh, Jedi trial that we're going to put you through. I'm going to fail. Yeah, that's all right. I think you'll be just fine. So we'll start off with uh, what's your favorite Star Wars movie or show? Definitely Return of the Jedi. Awesome. And why that particular film? I, you know, for, I'm, a good, I'm a good guy. In real life, I am a good guy. But I love the villain. I love the emperor with his lightning fingers. And I just that he's my favorite. Yeah. I love that whole scene. It sounds like you'll be getting a chance to possibly see him again here with the film coming up this December. Oh, that laugh. I knew exactly who that laugh was. Yeah, yeah. It was excellent. And uh, so uh, that may actually lead us right into the next question, which is who's your favorite Star Wars character? It's definitely him. I don't know why. Uh, there is something, you know, I think as a kid, I, I really thought he was the serious deal. And just his voice and the way he spoke calmly, he was so confident in his evilness. Yeah, he definitely owns it. It's funny, there was a story about some fans down at uh, Star Wars Celebration when they had that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they were like, oh, we love you so much. And he was like, no, you're not supposed to love me. I mean, <laughs> I saw the actor on uh, in the studios once, Disney's Hollywood Studios, oh, and really? he was age talking and stuff, and I was really close to him that I could, and I just refused to believe that that was him. I know they put a lot of makeup on him, and he did the voice, but it was still like, no, sorry, I refuse, not you. He's just not giving off that aura, huh? He was not. I'm sure when he gets into it, he's he's good. But yeah, I guess I guess he's coming back for something. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of one of the, the things that's open for debate right now is how is he going to kind of manifest in uh, the the rise of Skywalker. So we're going to have we to... Never, we never did see a body, right? In Jedi, right. he fell, right? Right. And I swear to God, Star Wars is kind of becoming like the Marvel Universe in yes. the sense that no one's ever really dead, right? They can if always bring you back. If I don't see a body... And even then, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's going to come back. Uh, Han Solo will be with him and be good to go. Uh, do, now, do you have a, a favorite starship within the Star Wars universe? Oh, definitely the Millennium Falcon, yeah. Yeah, well, you're in for a treat then, I think, when Galaxy's Edge opens. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the party. And do you have a favorite droid? BB-8. Yeah? Yeah, well, then he you get... took over the R2-D2 spot in my mind. Right, in my and you can go see him anytime you want over at Launch Bay, right? Yeah, and he's actually, you know, the way they may allow you to touch him and the way he reacts is pretty cool. They've always done such a great job with droids and uh, kind of giving them a very distinct personality. And I think that's really one of the things that makes Star Wars so special. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Um, and then growing up, did you have, or even as an adult, did you have a favorite Star Wars toy or piece of merchandise that you really enjoyed? No, but strangely enough, my cousin had bunk beds and the top bunk bed, the mattress was off and his Star Wars world was there. So I was very jealous and I was able to play with his play set that he would always get mad and know when a piece was missing. And I remember the play set, it's like a mountain and a bog with little Yoda stuff and you push the button and Yoda would make like the barrels or something levitate with a it was like a little piece of plastic under it that pushed it up. That, that was awesome. my favorite playset. Well, and that's incredibly creative. I've never heard of anyone doing that, but it makes total sense. It's like the perfect little play area in your bedroom. It was a whole world he had. I mean, he had thousands of dollars in that bunk area that I was just like, I'm never going to have it for myself. So I well, used to play. We were about two years difference in age. 
Yeah, and at least he was playing with them, not uh, keeping it's, everything in the in the case, waiting for it to be worth. Oh it. yeah, yeah, he had it out and put in a way that he could only remember exactly how he put it. Now, did you have like a favorite Star Wars memory? Um, you know, either in the park or outside. Uh, hmm. No, I will say my family keeps reminding me that I was, I don't know, I must have been four or five when the first Star Wars came out. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that they just keep reminding me that all I did was want to go to sleep and vomit up all the popcorn. In the middle of the <laughs> <laughs> did not handle the popcorn. Yeah. Well, uh, no. Terrific. For them. I do, yeah. you know what though? I do remember the uh, cantina scene, even at that age though. I absolutely remember the monsters and the music from the cantina scene, which is really weird because that memory just popped up now that I remembered it. Yeah. I, I, I could tell that kind of something triggered there. And I'm, honestly, that's not really that surprising a scene to to trigger on because that was really the first time uh, in the theater that had the, you had the door opened up on this array of characters that you've never seen before. And it was so totally believable, I guess. Yeah. I, I think also at that age, I probably wasn't, exposed to a lot of that, you know, other world alien creature stuff, except for whatever came on TV. So I was like, wow, there's, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> that's totally awesome. Um, so yeah, that's really all I got for you for, for the Jedi trials. You have passed with flying colors. Welcome yeah. to the Jedi order. <laughs> Thank you. And we will, uh, we'll move on. So uh, just kind of a little bit of information leading into the talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, but um, and I don't know how much of this you're familiar with, so it may be news to you as well, but George Lucas really was a huge fan of Disney um, from a very young age, and my understanding is that he actually and his family were down there for the second day that Disneyland was officially open. And I, did, I was not aware of that. Yeah, so, um, and it makes a lot of sense when you look at him and Walt Disney in the sense that they're both world builders. They're both uh, incredibly imaginative and kind of dealt in that world of uh, magic and fantasy. So when the time came for Lucas to get rid of Lucasfilm uh, and sell it to someone, he had always said that Walt Disney was the person that he would most readily do that for um, just because of the connection he felt that they had. So not surprising that they eventually merged with Disney. Um, and also Disney has had such a kind of a long-term marriage between them and the Star Wars attractions, the Star Wars celebrations that they would do for the Star Wars weekends that they would run at the park. So I don't know how much of uh, of those types of events you had been uh, you know, actively a part of. When they had them at the studios, that, that I went to. That's where the Emperor was on stage at Hollywood Studios during one of those events. Yeah, that that would have been incredible to see. I actually never got down there for any of the Star Wars weekends, but the fact that they, especially at Hollywood Studios, um, you know, they've got such a tight connection to Star Wars, Star Tours, the Jedi Training, uh, Trials of the Temple, uh, and then some of the shows. We talked a little bit earlier about Launch Bay. Um, and it sounds like you've clearly done the BB-8 meet and greet. I'm assuming you've yeah. done the Chewbacca and Kylo Ren as well. Yeah. The Kylo Ren meet is pretty pretty intense. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. He comes around that corner, and if you're not if you're not sitting there watching when he does so, I my wife actually had her back to him, and she turned around and was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. So he's pretty intimidating. So really, what we want to get into here is with 
the, the way that Disney has kind of turned their attention to doing their storytelling and creating these incredibly immersive lands within the parks, and they did it with Pandora. Um, they've done it with Toy Story Land now, and, and it definitely looks like that's the direction they're heading with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now that you've had a chance to kind of get back into that area and get a look at it, you know, what were your first impressions being back in Galaxy's Edge? I definitely think it's different than everything we've seen before. Uh, The closest being Pandora, and it even topped Pandora for me. Uh, do you want me to give you the whole the whole spiel of what I remember? Because it was only about ten minutes, yeah. maybe maybe fifteen minutes. Yeah. Okay. The entrance was over by the Muppet Vision 3D. And they had a black door there that they just opened and they took a few of us in. It was only three of us at that moment. And we entered this cave that curved to the right. Now, when I say cave, the best way to describe it is it looked like something you went through in the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean here in Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom. Sure. With the stalagmites and stuff like that. It felt like a, you know, a really big cave. Now, when I went in, there was this huge model in the middle of the cave of the rock work. And I thought, this is how silly I am. I was like, why is this here? I mean, if we're going to see it, why, why is there a model here? The model is not meant to stay there. It's just for the construction workers right. to come back to to use as a reference. And I was like, wow, you know, Bob, come off the crane. Look at this. <laughs> like, I would forget it by the time I got back up there. But it is used as a reference. And then we curved to the right and we got this big look this huge expanse. We walked out about, I would say, 50 feet to a barricade, and the space just felt huge to me. Uh, just to, again, to give a reference, like Diagon Alley was beautiful and themed well, but it felt very constricted and claustrophobic. This is huge. I know it will feel smaller when there's you know a million people there. But <laughs> So I looked quickly from the left all the way to the right and just gathered you know as much information as I could because I knew pretty soon they were going to say, come on, we got to get the next group in. So... Uh, I did not see the Millennium Falcon, which is a testament to how huge this area is because it's, it really felt much bigger than what I've seen. And to know that the whole Millennium Falcon area with other offshoots is not in this area, I was like, okay, there's a lot more that I'm still not seeing. Now, what I did see was it looked to me like what a jet engine half underground would look like, but 50 times the size. Right. So that I think you, you've probably seen this in the artist renderings. It looks like stuff that the Millennium Falcon flew through in The Force Awakens. Yeah, and Jakku there. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and, and Daisy Ridley was running through. Ray was running through these things. Yep. Uh, maybe she was stealing from one of them, I think, in the beginning. So it looks like that was in the ground. And then they have these that I only can describe as volcano tips coming up. And the coloring was between a little bit of purple and almost red and then black and gray and sooty. So it really felt like I never saw the black spire, like the big, there's one big spire and I didn't see that one from where I was at. Right. I think that'll be over more toward uh, Millennium Falcon. I, I, it has to be because, yeah, I didn't see it at all from where I was. Uh, we didn't see any ships actually from where I was. And I know there's a lot of ships over where the Millennium Falcon was. So it was a lot of rock work and uh, it's all becoming a big blur now that I'm trying to think about it. But I know that what I did see where that, uh, that big fuselage for a better word was right. It was either the exit or the entrance to rise of the resistance. Yeah. And I, as much as I'm excited about the fact that they're opening the land on August 29th, I think that when they hit that phase two opening and that rise to the resistance ride opens up, um, I know there's been some talk about whether it's going to be 20 minutes or 28 minutes or whatever the case is, but it just sounds like it is really going to be 
the most immersive part of that entire land. I mean, it, you're going yeah, to. Go I think Millennium the- Falcon is going to be great, but I think Rise of the Resistance is going to be the most epic, quote unquote, dark ride that we've ever seen. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is, I mean, they talk about the fact that that Galaxy's Edge is going to be about 14 acres, and Toy Story Land is 11. Uh, and Toy Story Land feels so much smaller. And obviously, I haven't been back in Galaxy's Edge, but it definitely looks like, because of the fact they don't have a roller coaster rolling through the whole thing, it looks like they've done an incredible job with their use of the space and making it feel larger than it probably actually is. Okay, I completely agree with you. And my question was, why does Toy Story Land feel like four acres compared to what I saw? And they keep saying it's because the coaster is taking up so much space that you cannot move around. I still feel like it's a lot bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, I still feel like Galaxy's Edge is bigger because I, you know, Rise of the Resistance and Falcon have to take up some space in these buildings. Oh, yeah. But the way they're put together, it looks bigger. Another thing is uh, that I want to make sure I mention is the layering effect of what I saw with the rock work. Yeah. The rock work that you see, and then there's a pretty good amount of rock work behind that. But then there's these itty little bitty things that are probably in the distance that look like there's a lot more back there that probably isn't. And I know that when I drive into the studios from the back, you can see these pieces of metal with a little stick at the top of something. And I know that's what I was looking at, but from inside, it it really adds to the layering effect of, you know, that you're on this Batu planet. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because, uh, you know, I make it down there fairly often. We usually go probably two, two, three times a year. This year, I think we're doing four, but one of them's to Disneyland. Uh, and, you know, coming in the back and you see those and, and it's all ties back to the fact that, you know, Disney obviously loves to use the force perspective. Um, and I think that's what they're really trying to do with it to make it feel like there's more depth to the land. Yeah, I keep wondering, are they going to put like bamboo or something to hide those those metal beams that we see before the, you know, the, the, the rock work. Right. But from inside, obviously you don't see the metal beams at all, but from outside you do. And I, I remember thinking, wow, that's a pretty good use of that stuff. Yeah. And it sounds to me very much like you had the exact experience they were going for coming in through that kind of cave like tunnel and then having the land open up in front of you, they kind of constrict your viewpoint and then uh, open it up. And it just feels that much more expansive because of that. Yep. Cool. Now, I believe it was uh, Chad. You guys had an, an Imagineer with you when you were actually in the land there? Chad was with us in the land. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Did, I mean, did he have any interesting stories that he was telling or was it really just kind of more, you know, here's what we got. Here's what it looks I, like. I was so excited. I think everything he said went right over my head. I mean, we're just walking in and he's saying something and it's like, it could have been, you just won a million dollars and I wouldn't have heard him. <laughs> I don't know what he did. Say. I remember asking him, can we walk forward more? because uh-huh. the barricade was still 10 feet away and I wanted to make sure I, I had as much as I could. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, uh, he's the one that told me about the, uh, the rock work. Yeah. He explained to me about the model, you know, what it was used for and stuff like that. I'm trying to think of what else he said. There was a couple of interesting things he said. And if I can remember, I'll tell you, but I don't remember them at the moment. Oh, not a problem. And honestly, I think that if it was any of us, you know, walking into that land, it had to be hard to focus on anything that was going on. Your eyes it were just was. I remember moving my head left and right slowly like a camera so I could pan and absorb and try to remember. <laughs> and I knew like you know, there was another group coming and I was so, I got to look at what I can look at before they come in. 
For any of the listeners that uh, you know are familiar with Panda, or if you go out and find him on Facebook, I know you had a couple of videos that you shot, one with uh, Chad and then one with just you kind of giving your initial impressions. And just the feeling of those videos is kind of, you know, shock and awe. Thanks. They're on a, a group that I got called Pandemonium. Yeah. And the easiest way to get to that is bigfatpandemonium.com. It brings you right to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you join. Yeah, and it's a great group. So, um, yeah, I mean, so for you, what are you most looking forward to when Galaxy's Edge opens? I'm really most looking forward to Rise of the Resistance, but when it first opens, I, I really want to get on, you know, Millennium Falcon. I feel like I, like Millennium Falcon, I feel like we all know kind of what to expect. I mean, we know it's got to be screen-based. We know we're going to be in the cockpit and we're going to have, you know, fun flying it. With Rise, there's so much mystery still shrouded on exactly how is this going to happen, that that's what excites me. But again, when it first opens, we're not going to have Rise. A lot of people are disappointed in that. I see it as a complete strategic move for crowds. There are some people that won't pay for the vacation and come when there's only one attraction open. The diehards will. And then the other people will wait until everything's open and the diehards will have to come back again anyway. So it seems strategic to me. But I'm most excited about Rise of the Resistance, but I do want to see Millennium Falcon. And I have to tell you, the stores are exciting me as much as the attractions. The Dakandar. Uh, Antiquities, uh, yeah. yeah. Talking to him and bartering with him for what you're buying and stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the Hondo Onaka uh, animatronic. Yes. And and yes. I know that Doc Ondar is also supposed to be, you know, one of those highly advanced animatronics. I think it's going to be awesome. You know, again, my wife sits there and goes, I used to have one of those hammerhead guys. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, they're telling me he's a new character. But I absolutely remember that figure from somewhere. Yeah, it's not the same character as the one from the Cantina scene and the original Star Wars. I think they're just saying it's a different member of that species. Yeah. The same way Salacious Crumb is not the, what is it, the something monkey that they're showing? The Kowakian monkey lizard? Yeah. yeah. Okay, because I thought it was Salacious Crumb. Like, yeah, he's from Jabba. They're like, no, he's not. I'm like, yeah, he is. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same. Again, I think they're just kind of being extra picky and saying, well, you know, he's a member of that species. He's a member of that species, right? Okay, all right. right. Yeah, so Doc Ondar would be an Ithorian, um, if anyone ever pins you down and needs to know that. But Good, thank you. Even the app uh, surprised me. I thought there was going to be a few things around the land to do with the app. But now, if you've watched what's coming out of the celebration in Chicago, we know that that app does a lot, a lot of stuff in the land. Yeah, yeah and actually, I should point that out to our listeners, because um, while we have covered a lot of information around Galaxy's Edge as a whole, uh, one of the things that kind of came out at, at Celebration and then um, really came out within the uh, Disney Parks app or the Disney Play app uh, is that now they have enabled the features for star Wars galaxy's edge and you can go in there and kind of see some of the basic information, but that's really going to be like your data pad. You're going to be able to scan containers and you're going to be able to pick up transmissions. And uh, it looks like they've made that just as immersive a part of the land as you know, all of the actual attractions and things you're going to see. Yeah. My thing was, even if you're not on the attractions, you're still going to have so much fun just walking around and shopping and eating I think, I don't know if they confirmed it, but I heard that the blue milk and the green milk is actually going to be like a frozen shake, like a frozen rice milk. Yeah, they said it was going to be some sort of dairy-free, you know, it's not milk, it's more a shake, like you were saying. In the Florida heat, I think that's a lot better. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to be drinking uh, any kind of milk. (laughs) 
at night. Uh, 98 degrees. Uh, at 90. After the first five minutes, it's now cottage cheese. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, drink it quick or you're not going not gonna to enjoy it that much. Yeah, so I mean, and I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that the brilliant thing that they're doing in that land, and again, it's not it's not a huge chunk of property. It, it feels bigger than it is, but once you start pumping the guests in there, um, it's going to fill up really quickly. And in a lot of ways, them only opening the uh, the smugglers run attraction in phase one is going to allow people to focus on that and then kind of enjoying the rest of the land. Uh, and then when Rise of the Resistance, Rise of the Resistance does open, uh, it's going to allow them to kind of focus on that, knowing that they've done a lot of the other things. But that's a much bigger benefit, certainly, to, to folks like you who are down in the area and can go visit it more often. I think you're right that there's going to be a lot of people that uh, delay their vacation until everything's open. So was there any anything else that jumped out at you about Galaxy's Edge that you know you really wanted to, to point out or draw attention to? I just remember feeling overwhelmed at the size, being very impressed. And it was still very much a construction zone, meaning I saw a lot that still needed to be done. And I remember thinking, all right, they got four months out here. I, I think, I mean, I know they're going to do it, but they're, they're definitely moving along. They have to move quickly. Yeah. And going back to the earlier point that you were making about, you know, them opening it early, I, I'm sure part of that is just the fact that, you know, we have 90% of this land that's going to be done by this point in time. There's no reason not to open it up, let people get in here, um, have it start kind of paying for itself. Uh, why we finish out this one last attraction and, you know, then we're good to go. So, and it's going to let the cast members kind of uh, settle into their roles since they're going to have that, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be just as immersive as the rest of the land. They're going to be yeah. playing citizens of the the planet of Batu. Yeah. It'd be nice to be on for those that are on the opening team of that, that land. And they can say 30 years from now, I was on the opening team for Galaxy's Edge. Right. The well, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, you know, given that the Star Wars uh, Smugglers run, the Falcon attraction is going to be the, the only attraction that's open there at the beginning. Uh, have you heard anything in regards to how the piloting and, uh, you know, crew member positions are going to work? I, I think that it seems like it's probably going to be a little bit of a redundancy since you're going to have two pilots, two mechanics, two gunners. Um, where you're not yeah, going to have I, one. I still heard that everybody's going to have, you know, some responsibility. I don't know if that's shared with the two, like you said, two pilots, two mechanics. And I, did you hear about the exit that supposedly if you've crashed it, you get one exit. And if you've successfully flown it, you get another exit. I did. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool little feature on that particular attraction. And I could just see fighting with people like, again, this group of people again, you know, like I'll make sure like outside I team up with people who know what they're doing. Right. We actually, we had the same conversation here. We're like, you know, if you see, you know, a kid or someone who's acting, all sketch, you're going to be like, yeah, why don't you guys go ahead of us? Yeah. I think it's going to be a very interesting social experiment to see how that works out. You're going to yeah. have guests that are potentially standing in line for hours to get in here and fly the Falcon. And, uh, you know, it could all be screwed up by one person just thinking, hey, I want to run everything I can. Yeah. I'm still thinking even when it's screwed up, the experience will be awesome. Yeah. I have no doubt. I'm sure that that has to be at the forefront of their mind, knowing that they don't want hordes of angry guests on their hands going, <laughs> you know, I waited three hours and we hit everything there was to hit. Terrific. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your afternoon to come on and talk a little bit about what you were able to see. Um, I hope that, you know, if they end up doing any more early access, 
uh, type events and, and you get access to see any more of the land, uh, you know, keep us in mind if you'd be willing. Oh, to- you got it. I will come back immediately. Yeah, that was, that, that would be uh, much appreciated. And I really appreciate you kind of filling us in on what you did see this time around. It was, it was great to have you on and have a chance to talk to you. This was very enjoyable. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Panda. And we will uh, hopefully be hearing more from you in the future. We're going to move on with the rest of the episode. So thank you to uh, John Sakari from BigFatPanda.com. And uh, I would encourage you all to go out and check out his YouTube channel, uh, which is Big Fat Panda, and also on Facebook at Big Fat Pandemonium. So from there, we're going to go ahead and move on to our Holonet stories of the week. And other than the Peter Mayhew story, which we already addressed earlier on in this podcast, the other main news story that came out this week was that on May 2nd, uh, the reservations for guests that are staying off property at Disneyland Resort who are out there to visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened up. And uh, unfortunately, if you're looking to book one of those four-hour windows from a period of May 31st to June 23rd, you're going to be out of luck. Uh, those were snapped up within about a two-hour window. So uh, again, you may want to go out and check just to see if anyone had released a reservation, but I don't think that is very likely given the fact that this is a very highly anticipated new land. Um, So just keep tuned to this podcast because what we will do is if there's any additional news released about uh, new booking windows or if they're going to extend that uh, beyond June 23rd, we will definitely update you guys and let you know when those are going to open up to the general public. And you can hopefully get out there and snag those up. So that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us this week. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review. And uh, also, if you could mention the podcast to a friend, word of mouth is really going to help get us out there uh, and expand our listenership. Uh, If you need to reach us, if you have ideas for the show or anything you want to talk about, you can get a hold of us at jtapodcast at gmail.com and also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at jtapodcast. Thanks again for listening, and may the Force be with you.